Hello, passionate people. You are listening to Passion Harvest. Thank you so much for listening today. And as always, I'm so passionate to share these episodes with you. I'm Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. Every week we share new episodes talking with people across the planet who have an inspiring, entertaining and passionate story to share, taking you on a journey to discover your passion. My guest today is Imelda Alkovist. She is amazing and an international teacher of shamanism and sacred art. So far, she has published two books, Natural Born Shamans, A Spiritual Toolkit for Life, Using Shamanism Creatively with Young People of All Ages and Sacred Art, A Hollow Bone for Spirit, Where Art Meets Shamanism. She has presented work on both the Shift Network and Sounds True and appears in a TV program titled Ice Age Shamanism, made for the Smithsonian Museum in the series Mystic Britain, talking about Neolithic Arctic deer shamanism. Her third book comes out in 2020. Her passions are making and teaching sacred art, mystery school work, rites of passages, working with women, working with children and teenagers to build a viable spiritual toolkit or survival kit and the far north northern traditional shamanism so welcome to the wonderful world of Amelda archivist this is her story and this is her passion Amelda, welcome to the show i'm so excited to have you on passion harvest today well i'm very excited to be here and <laughs> talking across a dateline so today for you is still tomorrow for me yeah well, amazing hey and amazing that we've connected yeah what really stood out for me um when i was honored and i'm honored that you're on the show is your paintings or your drawings absolutely incredible um well you know as your unconsciousness evolves, you sort of try to find words for, for what you do, and that process tends to shape shift the whole time. I certainly have done a lot of shamanic healing work, but I do many other things as well. And um, exactly right now, more of my focus is on teaching and leading groups. So, so yes and no at the same time. <laughs> and it's constantly evolving, I guess. It's constantly evolving, meaning I'm constantly looking for new words to put to what I'm actually doing. That's amazing. I guess just for a foundational understanding, what is shamanism? How would you describe that for our listeners? Well, shamanism is a word that has been coined. The word shaman comes from the Tongass peoples in uh, Siberia. And here in Western culture, an ism has been put on that. Mm -hmm. And the word is used to describe uh, a spirit-led way of life where contact and communication with the spirits is right at the heart of personal life and community life. I didn't know that. that that's fantastic. But, and is a shamanism someone who facilitates that? Or the shaman? Yes. Is someone yeah, that facilitates the, the shaman in, in tribal societies, because we do not take that word for ourselves if we are, you know, trained in Western countries. And, you know, so we sort of, we honor them by not taking that word for ourselves. But shamans in indigenous or, you know, tribal 
context, they are the spirit communicators, meaning that they honor the ancestors, they perform ceremonies, they bring healing, um, you know, they often deal with weather spirits as well, they do divination and sort of, you know, work out what shape the future might take. So they perform all these spirit-led services on behalf of their community. Got it. Thank you. That was fantastic. <laughs> um, I have got so many questions for you, but I'm just thinking as I'm talking to you, you do so many wonderful things that we'll delve into in a minute, but have you always had this spiritual foundation or did your journey take you from birth or did you just happen to fall into it? How, um, how have you evolved to such a state? Well, for me, it's something I have indeed done for birth. And even as a very young child, I remember that the spirits would come and, you know, like I'd help them with people who had died and were crossing over. Because the spirits said that sometimes these people were like less afraid of a very human little girl than of, you know, the spirits may like appear very different to them. I didn't realize there was a word for that. I mean, that's called psychopomp work or soul conductor work. Um, also, I'd never spoken to anyone who was doing that as well, but that's what I was doing at night. And it was only much, much later, 20 years later, when I started reading anthropology books that I realized there is actually a name for this work. And then what happened, uh, I went to art school as an 18-year-old. And I kind of painted my way into shamanism. I painted my way into all of these spiritual things I'm doing now. So the, the paintings are totally linked to the spiritual journey. They're one and the same for me. Fantastic. And I guess you, you had no one to talk to when you were a young girl um, helping these spirits transition. Did, is there anyone you could speak to about it? No, and I'm not sure I even tried. I mean, my family is and was Roman Catholic. Okay. So this they was might not, not understand. <laughs> this was not dinner table conversation in our house, to put it right. mildly. And though my mother is quite open to spiritual things, I mean, I don't think she would have understood psychopomp work. And I don't think she discovered I was doing that until she read my, read my first book in English with a dictionary at hand because I'm mm -hmm. Dutch and she is Dutch many, many decades later. I think she made some discoveries when she read my first book. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> it's lovely, yeah. My father's actually Dutch. Oh, is he? Yeah. And do you speak Dutch? Um, no, I can say one word, which is laka. I think that means nice. Lekker. Lekker. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's <it>. good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know where you'd like to start, but what I'm really interested in, in many things, but um, you talk about portals on some of your YouTube videos, geographical that's portals. True. And I think, well, there are portals everywhere. There are portals in nature, like naturally, that take us to other worlds. But we can also create portals by performing certain ceremonies or actions or calling in the spirits. And even paintings can be portals. I found that people can sometimes step into a painting I have made and access other worlds that way and that the world of spirit becomes visible to them. So I think we can say that we are surrounded by portals. It's just that not everyone is aware of that maybe. This is absolutely fascinating. I'm fascinated by this subject. So um, in your interpretation, what is a portal? For me, a portal is a doorway that leads into other realms. It is a liminal place 
where something opens so we can access other worlds, other realms and navigate those and communicate with the inhabitants of those realms. So that would be the spirits, but also the ancestors, angelic beings and even other beings. Um, could it also be past lives? Well, that gets us onto the... I know, is everything at the same time? But <laughs> it's everything at the same time. It's that, you know, in, in my profession, we teach that time is an organizing, organizing dimension on Earth, but yeah. it's ultimately an illusion. So, as you just say, if everything exists at the same time, we can open portals in time, but really, ultimately, everything is connected and happening at the same time. It's just our human brain cannot process it that way. Perhaps I should have said our other physical realities. Is that a better yeah, technology? Non-physical realities. Non physical realities. And generally, I'm assuming, but I'd love your opinion, um, these portals that we go to, through, would they be a, a way to provide us some sort of download or some information about our soul's purpose? I think they absolutely can be, but that's also an area where you would use intention. But say, if you move through a portal or, you know, in the language of core shamanism, you might say, I go on a shamanic journey and other spiritual disciplines will use different words for that again, but it's all the same concept. The moment you meet spirits, you meet inhabitants of worlds other than ours and they tend to have the larger perspective that we cannot have because we're in a human body on earth mm -hmm. so the moment we do that we can seek guidance from them and they may share that but also we can step through a portal you know or undertake a journey and connect to our own higher self that is outside time that has the the larger perspective on things and knows things that our everyday self does not remember just processing all that but um <laughs> what if you've been through a portal can you explain what it might feel like um well stepping through a portal is where you know you move through this liminal place where all of a sudden you're in a reality where different rules apply so those realms are more shape-shifty they may, though they may have color and shape and smell and you can perceive them, they're not physical in the way that life on earth is. Mm -hmm. So it's like you shift into another dimension. Some people might say it's a different vibration. And by doing so, different possibilities open up because we're no longer tied to earthbound reality and the rules that govern that existence. And would one have to be in a high vibrational meditative state to access the portals? Mm, well, I don't know about high vibration. It helps, but I think one needs to be in a very mildly altered state of consciousness. But I do not think that everyone who walks between the worlds is always necessarily in a high vibration state because these states can also be used, you know, by sorcerers or people using magic for not so great purposes. So I don't think one can, like, always say that quite. That's very, really interesting. And just finally on that, in the essence of time, obviously that everyone knows about, or not everyone, but the Greenwich Meridian and the grid lines, there's certain portals with significant, um, whether it's the pyramids or significant rocks. So there can be portals in every city, in everyday life. 
that they are really they're really everywhere like i'm here in london uk very close to greenwich where you know they're talking about datelines but where you know greenwich meantime is over here though we're on british summertime at the moment and just on that meridian you find a lot of portals so i've sometimes taken my students to greenwich park which is very very near here to you know, stand in certain places and to actively work with these portals. So I mean, it's fantastic if you can go to the pyramids, but really you can find these portals absolutely wherever you are in the world. Wow, I've got I've just got one more question. <laughs> um, what does it only because I personally feel like I've found a portal? But what, in your professional opinion, what 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 is the feeling um, when you think you might be around or near a portal? Um, well, from my point of view, there is a special energy around that. So it's very hard to explain, but it has that whiff of magic. And often things happen there that you would not expect in other places. Maybe the colors are brighter, or maybe you start seeing an animal that you would not normally see there. Or it's just kind of like, you know, the shift in awareness already starts as you approach and you just have that feeling of stepping into another world it's hard to explain you know that that you did a great job thank you very much i guess i'd love to move on to your um which we touched on your paintings are just so inspired i looked at a youtube video um, on your youtube channel that i will put in the show notes and you do painting for some of your clients of uh, people that have lost children or had an abortion I just you know I thought of a couple of friends of mine actually and their paintings are so beautiful yeah the spirit children is the spirit children how did that do you does it just come to you because the paintings are just so amazing I almost wanted to cry they were so beautiful well thank you (laughs) but yeah that was something that just came I think it's like a soul task I have in this life and also I was doing that long before I did any formal training in shamanism it was more a natural extension of the work I was doing as a child you know I told you I was working with dead Mm -hmm. people and helping them transition and this was more when I was in my you know mid-20s maybe uh, after my time as an art student where the souls of children or spirit children, like children who are no longer in this world, but mm-hmm. they lead their existence in parallel realms. They're still somewhere. They have not disappeared, even though they have died and left this world. They would come to me and they would ask me to paint them. And then they would ask me to give those paintings as a gift to their parents, which is it was quite sort of scary because it meant that I had to go and approach people without really knowing how I was going to be received. And I had to open up a very sensitive and tricky subject. But, you know, like when, and some of these spirit children were so adamant, they absolutely demanded I did this. So very, very nervously and hesitantly, I would approach a few people and say, well, you know, look, and then you have to also mind your language. So, I would just say to people, because most of the time it would come in dreams or strong daydreams. So I would say to them, you know, I have had a very, very strong dream that really comes to attention. It's kind of strange and it involves, you know, a spirit child. You know, are you willing to listen to this or not? 
And then actually all the people I approached said, yes, I would love to hear. And then I would just tell them the story as it unfolded and also explain that I'd been, you know, guided to make this painting. And well, you know, there would be a dialogue and sometimes the parents would say, you know, this is great. Can you go back? And like sometimes there are particular questions people need closure on, mm -hmm. like, like, can you ask the child why it chose to return? We were so happy to receive it in this life or whatever the question might be. And then sometimes I'd go back and talk to the child spirit or the spirit child again and say, you know, whatever it is. So you would facilitate a dialogue. And other times the child would want the parents to know something. It's like you talk about me as if I would have had mom's curly hair, but that is not true. I would have looked like that and I would have had his really <laughs> tall legs, you know, stuff like that. Where you think like, whoa, I mean, until that happened to me, I had no idea that that existed. But that was the kind of dialogue I was asked to facilitate. And then when I started, I said, extreme hesitation doing that, I realized that it brought healing because because of these paintings and you know people do different things with them some lock them away and some put them on the wall of the living room but in some families I observed that the parents put the painting in a place in the home where the whole family could see it and it was like the spirit child you know who will always have their place in the constellation of the family even if they didn't make it they have their place and that's inviolable and that the child then sort of took its place in family life and it became a conversation point or, you know, the child felt included still in family life. And I realized it brought sort of closure and healing. That's really beautiful, but I can understand um, bringing up that very emotional topic could have been a bit nerve wracking. <laughs> terrifying. I really think like, do I, do I have the right to walk in here? And even by, I think the rules of, you know, like, contemporary well shamanism or core mm. shamanism i mean like i could maybe almost do it because i was still younger and no one had programmed me or told me the rules i think if this happened to me today i would tread i would be even more terrified because i know far more now than i did as a much younger woman and potentially they haven't asked for your help as well so well that is the issue mm. it's mm. like you know in the spiritual world today key principle number one is you do not try and go and help people who are not asking for help. And yeah, you obviously honor their free will, free will absolutely at all times. But I wasn't dishonoring their free will, but I was definitely approaching people urged on by these spirit children riding on my shoulders. And I was offering them something that they weren't asking for. Then again, I was also offering something that people had no idea they could ask for. And maybe if they had known about it, they might have. Uh, you know, it's in terms of ethics, it's very, very tricky. And I do understand it has not sort of sort of not to your extent been in a slight case where um, a, a, a spirit of someone's grandfather that had passed kept pushing me to give them information. And I said, no, I don't want to do this. People are going to think I'm weird and crazy. And I yeah. eventually did. And, you know, we embraced and she cried. But afterwards there was a kind of... Um, hesitancy between us because I didn't want intrude. She might, I, I kind of thought she, and I certainly wasn't, and I couldn't, I think she kind of thought that I might be able to read her thoughts or I'd invaded some sort of um, personal space that she mm -hmm. hadn't asked for, even though she was grateful. Yeah. But I don't know if I'd do it again because she was cautious yeah, but like, wouldn't you be? Wouldn't I be? I mean, imagine that the roles are reversed. And it's happened to me. I've had 
this is a person once who had done some sort of you know spiritual training and completely without permission she thought it was a gift decided to walk around my mental space and you know, I said completely unrequested, even presented me with the notes she had written down about like how I should sort of, you know, parent my children differently and this and that. And I thought, you know, hang on, wait a minute. I haven't asked for this. I haven't given permission for this. And you've essentially walked into my, my head, into my psychic space. Not only that, you're giving me advice I haven't asked for. And I actually found that really intrusive. Yeah, so I guess there's two sides to a story. But anyway, aside from that, your your paintings are absolutely beautiful. <laughs> so you no longer do those paintings unless people unless you're sometimes I, I do them when I'm asked and if I have the time. The issue is that at the moment a lot of my time is tied up with teaching and also with writing books. So um but I fortunately now have also a very large number of sacred art students and, and students of, you know, other you know, shamanism and other spiritual things. So I also at this point can make referrals to other people I have trained who are able to do the same work. Wow. So I'd love to hear more about your healing. But firstly, your books, books, are they all channeled books or? Not completely because... I'm also a very great believer in doing the research and I very much feel that any book, at least that's just for myself, I'm not speaking yeah. about other authors, but any book that I write needs to be, a, needs to marry both worlds together. So I also spend a lot of time trying to get my facts right and doing research and, you know, like calling on sources and, you know, there's always a lot of footnotes in almost every chapter I write. So people are not going to say it was just woo, she made it up. So I try mm. to really underpin it. But also once I've done all of the underpinning, there is a point where I step into those other worlds and I say, well, this is personal experience or like I can't provide a footnote for this. But based on years of doing this work, these are my observations. Wow. Look, I'm in the process of writing a book and I there's it oh. takes a lot of mental space it's or it, it it's yeah it, it's a lot of work but i love your um that you the research i'm doing a bit of research as well and not only do i enjoy it but it is some sort of tangibility you can offer to your audience to say well these are the facts and this is the research i've done and yes and i think that that is very important also that people later know like also when i teach my students now often I use words from like different languages and I also say to them the language I'm using is this or this comes from that tradition or just so people can chase the reference later and I think that goes for this as well that I think it's very important to tell people what is like generally accepted fact and what is really your own material that you have received from spirits or which you have developed based on years of work. Yeah, thank you for explaining that so well and congratulations for the books you have and the ones that are coming. Um, <laughs> I'd love to hear more about your teach. Thank you. Thank you. It's a work in progress. But I'd love to hear more about your offerings and what you teach. Mm. Well, essentially, at the moment, I teach sacred art programs and that is in different locations which is um, making art in a spirit-led way and then also using the tools of, rite, of rites of passage work, uh, ceremony, 
and also encouraging people to cast their net very widely. So my art students work in many different mediums, like ranging from music and sculpture and dance and singing to actually making paintings. And then bringing groups together and using the dynamics and mirrors involved in group process to help people on that journey of evolving consciousness and becoming more aware and acquiring um, a spiritual survival kit. So that is sort of one line of work. I still do shamanic healing work. I know you want to talk about healing. <laughs> um, my focus is mostly on children and young people because that's where my heart is. And again, I can only see a limited number of people behind the scenes because I do so many things. So, but you know, where possible, if I'm asked to work with a child or a teenager, if at all possible, I will do it. Or I will refer the family to a person I've trained myself who works, you know, in a way very similar to mine. So that's one side. So it's the art, it's the work of children, spiritual toolkit work. And then also I've just opened a, a school in Sweden where I'm teaching ancestral material from Northern Europe, which is Seder and Northern tradition material. So that feels very exciting as well because there is a move away at the moment uh, for, a, for a while people were really happy with core shamanism and taking things from different traditions but there's been a backlash and indigenous native peoples are like asking us not to sort of use their terms or their concepts anymore and that's completely fair enough so for me it's become a real point of focus to now go back to what did my ancestors do and for me that's northern european ancestry you know like like what words did they use for their spirituality what techniques did they use what ceremonies did they did they perform and to bring that back and uh, so I was in Sweden last week with a really large group of students and we had a completely fantastic time. We're sitting out on grave mounds and visiting runestones and, you know, it was fantastic. How wonderful. And why Sweden in particular? It's just, I know it, you have some history there, but it, is it particularly Sweden opposed to the other Scandinavian countries? Well, I mean, I love all Scandinavian countries. That is like Denmark, Norway, and Sweden. Finland is not actually a Scandinavian country, and Iceland and the Faroe Islands aren't either, but they're part of the Nordic area still. Mm -hmm. But my husband is Swedish. My ah. children are half <laughs> Swedish, half Dutch. And, you know, we used to live there. We have a house there at the moment. And that's of, of the Scandinavian countries, the place where I spent all, all the time that I'm not spending in London or like teaching in the U S mm -hmm. and in other locations. I haven't so been it's there, like, but it's, it's meant to be, a, yeah, <laughs> it's meant to be a beautiful country. Um, I just wanted to ask, are any of your workshops or your healings done remotely or are they usually in person? Uh, I prefer working in person mm. because there's just something about, you know, like the famous laying on of hands, I guess, but there's just something about actually having the person in the room with you and laying your hands on them and also being able to really look them in the eye while you work. So that is my preference, mm -hmm. but it is not always possible. So I certainly do with work with people remotely some of the time. And then there are certain spiritual things you can do remotely and that I will do remotely if the circumstances call for that. But there are also certain procedures and things that are best done in person. And I make it very clear to my clients, like where I draw that line. And then again, if things need to be done that I don't think are best done, you know, long distance, I will refer them to colleagues or mm -hmm. students of mine, and, you know, who are closer to the person's location. And what about your workshops? 
are they all done in person, the, the groups that you teach? Mostly I have done online classes, though at the moment I'm not so active on that front and the online mm -hmm. classes are more for groups. I already teach people on long-term programs and I try to, you know, hold them together and, you know, offer them like a class between modules that we do in person. So I have done them and these classes are on Learn It Live. I can send you the link for that if you like. And they've been recorded and, and many of them are even free. People can just go there and press the... Uh, the orange button so you can watch the recording. That'd be great. And I'll put them in the show notes for people, but there is something to be said for in-person teaching or healing work. It definitely has a different dynamics. Very much so. And when you work with people in person, you know, you can go much, much deeper. I mean, the online tools are fantastic. I do not rubbish them. I gladly make use of them, but there are things you can do in person, both with groups and with individuals that you just cannot do online in the same way, which is why my preference is for in-person work. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I guess in the essence of time, I'd also like to talk about rune stones. And oh, okay. <laughs> within the timing, what are rune stones? What do you do with them? And how do you speak to them? Well, what are runestones? We find them all over Scandinavia, but Sweden has an especially large number of them, more so than the other countries. And what are they? They were large stones erected, many of them even you know, before and after the Viking Age. The Viking Age is from about 800 to 1100. So before that, we have the even sort of earlier inscriptions and, and even like picture stones on the island of Gotland. Then you get the Viking Age uh, rune stones. And then after that, you get runestones that have the medieval runes. So there is not just such a thing as the runes. Within mm. the concept of the runes, there are different scripts. And it depends on what location and what time period you were in, uh, like what you're going to see on a runestone. So what I was doing with those students, because they had been studying the Old Norse material with me uh, all week. Mm -hmm. So I took them to actual runestones so they could see some of the things I had demonstrated in class on an actual stone and like sit out with it, meditate by the rune stone and, you know, spend time with it. Because obviously those rune stone stones have been touched by craftsmen many, many centuries ago, even a millennium ago. So you're in the presence of a piece of living history. And also if you think of that stone as a being with its own spirit, which in my line of work we do, it means that that stone can be a teacher for you that you can speak to and seek information from and generally be in the presence of. Wow, because I, I guess, well, I originally or most people think of, you know, the little rune stones, the little, the little pebbles with little inscriptions on them that you can tell your fortune or um, predict oh, some... <laughs> They're completely different. I'm not talking about rooms that are as tall as I am, like I'm five yes. foot ten, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and they've been inscribed by people. People have put engravings in the stones. They have. And a lot of the time it's text. And the text is often in a band that looks like a dragon or a serpent, which is the same motif you would have seen on the Viking ships, you know, mm -hmm. with the, you know, the dragon heads. Yes. And a similar motif runs on these rune stones that you often see a band, which is like a serpent. So often you have the 
two heads of the serpent meet and then in that ribbon we find the inscription so the text that is written which is generally not very fancy most runestone stones say something along the lines of this stone was raised by so and so in memory of their father he was a great soldier or he was a great farmer and that's usually it because chiseling rooms in stone was an awful lot of work and it would have cost a lot of money to commission someone to do that so most of these inscriptions are not very fancy and not very long they're quite basic and they follow a formula okay very interesting i've covered a lot of top topics is there anything you'd like to specifically talk about Wow, I think we've talked about a lot of things. We have. <laughs> Maybe we could talk a little bit more about uh, spiritual toolkit work with children and young people. Yeah, I'd love to hear about that. Because this is just a subject very close to my heart, mm -hmm. and it's also the subject of my first book. But I feel that it's so incredibly important that, you know, children growing up today face incredible challenges and also because of you know social media and technology the whole world comes in like there is no bubble culture anymore everything mm -hmm. that's happening in the world it reaches them and they're aware of it and also we live in a world where there's a lot of shifting and uh, a changing of paradigms going on so i want to say to people that you know like as a person who is 52 mother of three teenagers young young you're young. Yeah, I'm very young. Very, I'm very young. <laughs> but I do not hold a passport to the world that my three children are going to inhabit, like not long term. They will hopefully outlive me, meaning that my task as a parent is to prepare them for a world that I don't even know myself. But what I then can do is share my best and most effective spiritual tools with them so they stand the chance of navigating those tempests and stormy waters that every young person is going to have to face yes I, i'm just digesting what you said i do agree with that but um i also think sometimes challenge is good and we certainly have our own journey to navigate as well so that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing. And I always ask my guests, since this is a show about passion, <laughs> if someone's looking to find more passion in their life or looking to find their passion, what would you recommend? What would you advise? I think I would advise them to just go for it because people are so good at placing limiting beliefs around the things they really want or the passions that call them. I mean, not everyone, but many people do. When I teach my sacred art courses, an awful lot of work I have to do initially is the sort of stripping off of limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. So what I would say to people is, you know, recognize those limiting beliefs for what they are and really go for it because, you know, life is short, life is precious. So don't let anything hold you back. Go for it. I love it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Imelda, it was so lovely to have you on the show. I'm so honoured to hear about the incredible work you do and your books. And thank you for being on Passion Harvest. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you would like to know more, follow Passion Harvest on Instagram or Facebook. We would love to hear from you. Tell us how you are living your passions. 
please subscribe to our podcast and please rate and review it. Share it with a friend and inspire them to develop their passion. Goodbye and until next time, keep spreading that passion.